All right. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Anyone need to do some jumping jacks? You're here an hour early. Everybody's good. You're awake. I, I was saying the other day, you know, turning the clocks forward used to be such a big deal for us at the church. Uh, we used to, you know, put some reminders and do it for weeks and then like send an email and now everyone's phone just changes and we don't really even pay attention to it much. Uh, but uh, thank you for being here early and for, uh, for being here to worship the Lord. It's good to be together uh, in God's presence today. You remember what you were doing a year ago today? It's been a year, right? It's been one year. I was, uh, our family was trying to head back from vacation and uh, we were doing, I was introduced to my first Zoom calls as we met with our board over Zoom because I was, I was away, our family was away and trying to figure out what to do on March 15th, that coming Sunday. And March 15th was the first Sunday we decided to go completely online for two weeks. It was a long two weeks, right? That was such a big decision. Well, we're going to do this for two weeks. And uh, we decided we'd do it for two weeks. And, uh, and then it went on and kept going. And it has been, I've said this to, you know, I found myself saying this a number of times last go, it has been a year. Uh, and I hope that you have had time to reflect back and, uh, on what this year has been like. I, I've found that God has been at work, and I hope you have too. Because it's easy to look and see the things that maybe we lost or the hard things, and those are there, and we need to recognize those, and especially when those involve people that we've lost. And there's been some real loss in this last year for sure. And God has been at work in this past year. And we shouldn't miss either of those things. Uh, don't miss the places that, yes, you need to grieve and, and you miss, but don't miss the places where God was teaching you and leading you, showing you something about yourself, showing you something about, um, you know, your life and the world around you. Uh, I've learned some things. I know we've learned some things as a ministry team and as a church, and, and we're hoping to continue to take those forward with us as God takes us from here. And I know that God has been in work in your life too, and he's been teaching you some things as well. So let me just pray as we start our message, just with all that in mind. Father, we are grateful, I am grateful, that your word is true, that you will never leave us or forsake us. And in the time, in the valley, in the mountain, in the time of corona, in the time of challenge, in the time of sickness, in a time of health, you are with us. And I thank you for that, Lord. God, I thank you that you are continuing to lead us and guide us in our lives. And Father, even for those who are part of this room, and this room looks different than it did a year ago, and there are those that are online, and that's different than it was a year ago, we just pray that you continue to lead and bless and guide us, Lord. Continue to show us yourself. Lord, open our eyes to the places you have been at work, but that we might miss if we don't just take some time to look and allow your Holy Spirit to lead us. Thank you for the way that you've been with us. We do pray for those who have been affected by a loss during this time, be that a, a person that is close to them or a job or something else that happened that was a loss. Lord, we pray that you continue to minister your grace and your love. Lord, and for all of us, that you would continue to lead and guide and give us wisdom 
as we proceed forward, trusting you that you are leading in every step. As we said at the beginning, Lord, let us move in faith, not in fear and not in foolishness either, trusting you in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week, uh, we started a new series called When You See It. We're still in the book of Luke. We're going to be in the book of Luke for a while, but we fast-forwarded a little uh, as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday and as we move into kind of that Passion Week. And so we decided uh, we are going to fast-forward a little in the book of Luke to focus on those times in Jesus' life we're going to go back after Easter. We're going to jump back to Luke chapter 4 where we left off, and we're going to pick up there and walk more through the book. But we thought with our time of year leading up to Resurrection Sunday, we want to focus on some of those events that led up to the cross and the resurrection, which are really the foundation of our faith in Christ. And so that's what we're doing. And we also, as pastors, when we got together and we were looking and studying this section of Luke, what we realized is that Luke really highlights, leading up to the cross, really highlights many different people that were around Jesus that really seemed to miss what was going on, really seemed to miss the significance of what was happening. Even when Jesus stated it clearly, they still seem to miss it. And so we said, well, we want to focus on some of those things because if they could miss it, if they could miss the significance of the moment and they're there and Jesus is right in front of them, then there's a danger that we could miss it, that we might miss the significance of all that happened at that time. And so last week, Pastor Brian in, in Belmont and Pastor Marvin here in Burlington uh, talked about our first week of uh, when you miss it. And we said that you can miss it when you focus on the cost of acceptance, and the cost of acceptance seems greater than the cost of denying. And we said in the short term, there's a cost to serve Jesus. And in the short term, the cost of acceptance may seem greater. But in the long run, the cost of denying who Jesus is is always a greater cost that you don't want to pay. And so we said you can miss it if you're focused on the cost of acceptance in the short term. This week, we're going to shift gears a little bit and look at another group of people who had, uh, who had the situation that were very close to Jesus and also were in danger of missing what was going on in that moment. Let me start by, as we get into this week's message, talking about the fact that as a church, because of our proximity to Hanscom Air Force Base, uh, throughout the years, we've had a number of people uh, a number of base personnel who are always a part of the church. Uh, sometimes more, sometimes less. At one point, I think at the high point, we had, uh, when we were kind of gauging it, one-third of the church was, was military personnel uh, coming from Hanscom. Uh, when Hanscom was, was a little bit more of an active base, they had a band, the Liberty Band, and, and a lot of our worship team was a part of the band from Hanscom. And, and so we've been blessed in many ways over the years by that. And because of that relationship, I've had the opportunity at times to attend certain events on the base. And sometimes I'll get invited to a promotion ceremony or maybe to a retirement ceremony and uh, sometimes just to attend, sometimes to pray. And those are always unique times. It's always a privilege to be there during a person's a significant time in a person's life. 
But when I walk into those rooms where the promotion's going to be or where the retirement's going to be celebrated, it's always an interesting uh, room to walk into for me as a civilian. Because I walk in and the military personnel at these ceremonies, they are decked out. They are in their dress blues in the Air Force. They have the stars and bars. They have all their ribbons and everything that they have accomplished and all of it is on display. And the moment they walk in the room, they can look at the room and know exactly where everyone stands. They know where they fit and they know where everyone else fits in the room. They know who's supposed to salute them and they know who they're supposed to salute simply by looking at the uniforms and looking at the stars and the bars and the ranks and everything that's going on in that room. I walk in and I'm just in a suit and tie usually. I'm a civilian. No one knows what to do with me. You know, I put on, I slap on that name tag that usually says, you know, pastor of Mount Hope and they still don't know what to do with me at that point. But, uh, but, we, but I walk in and I feel a little out of place because I, you know, I have, honestly, I try and pay a little bit of attention or ask some questions, but I have no idea what this uniform means. And what, I mean, when they, got the, when they got the stars, I start knowing, right? I, I, I pay attention when I see the stars. But all the other stuff, I don't always know what it means. But everyone in that room knows where they fit. And this happens to us, I think, where we walk into any room. We're always trying to figure out, where do I fit in this room? You walk into, it doesn't have to be a room full of military personnel. It could be, it could be any type of room that you walk into. We're often trying to gauge who's in the room, who's important, where do I fit in this group and in this room full of people? And when you make those determinations and when you kind of figure that out in your head, it's going to determine what you do next and how you treat people, right? And, and it's all going to be different for, some, for all of us, right? Some of us may say, okay, I'm, I'm going to walk into a room and I take, you know, kind of stock of who's in the room and I'm going to start gravitating to people who are like me. And I'm going to find my little group because these people look like me. They look like I'll fit in and I'm just going to hang with them. But maybe you're different. Maybe you walk into a room and you look at who are the most important people. And I am going to try and get with them. I'm going to try and get in their good graces. I'm going to try and get in a conversation with them. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you just walk into a room and you go, where can I find a corner to stand where no one is going to bother me? And I'm going to get my little plates and I'm going to get, and I'm just going to stand there until this is over. And then I'm going to hopefully leave and no one's going to say anything to me. And uh, by your uh, giggles, I can imagine that's some of you. That's kind of me. I'm always, uh, you'll find me. I, if you walk into one of those rooms and I'm in there, I'll probably find the corner before you do. And, uh, and, and I'll be waiting for you there. But what you do in those times, we all kind of walk in those, but it's not just a room. We do it in life. We're constantly walking through life, gauging where we fit, gauging where everyone else is and where we kind of fit in the pecking order. And here's the thing. When we do that, if we're constantly walking through life, constantly looking around us, constantly looking at where we fit in groups of people, we might miss something really important about Jesus and about the life that we are supposed to live. Turn to Luke chapter 22 with me in your Bible. Would you, Luke chapter 22, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. 
Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at another reason we miss it when it comes to Jesus. And we're going to look specifically at a group of people that was really close to Jesus, the closest. That's his disciples. His disciples uh, who were following him for three years. And if anyone shouldn't have missed all of what Jesus was about and all of what Jesus was focused on, it was these 12 guys. No one should have missed it. If anyone shouldn't have missed it, it shouldn't have been them. And yet, we pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, and we see that they did miss it. Jesus had just finished last week, if you remember, sharing this last supper with them, this really meaningful moment, this real, you know, opening up and bearing of his heart of here's what's going on, here's what it's all about. This is my body. This is my blood. This is a new covenant that I'm starting, right? That verse Valentina just read out of Hebrews talks about the importance and the significance of the new covenant that Jesus is bringing in. And then in verse 21, he says this, Jesus says, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. So at least one of you isn't getting it. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So the disciples are sitting around with Jesus, and Jesus says, look, one of you is going to betray me. And then the conversation starts. And you can see how it would jump from, I'm not going to betray him. Who is it? It's not me. I mean, it's not me. And they, and they just go around the table, right? They're trying to figure out who it is. Well, it's not me. I'm not going to betray him. That suddenly it would start to jump to not only who's going to betray him, but they start pulling out their credentials. I mean, you can see how the conversation might go. Maybe Peter is sitting there and he said, well, it's not going to be me. I'm not going to betray him. You guys saw me. I got out of the boat. I walked on water. I've been with him from the beginning. I'm not going to betray him. And maybe you see, you know, James sitting there, well, it's not going to be me. I was on the mountain with him. I heard the voice of God from, you know, call out to him. I was there. It's not going to be me. And then maybe, you know, maybe some of the more obscure disciples that we don't know much about, like a Thaddeus, right? We don't know. We never hear about Thaddeus. But maybe Thaddeus is like, look, it's not going to be me. Peter, I didn't get out of the boat, but I didn't sink and almost drown either. You know, it's not going to be me that's, that's going to betray him. And all of a sudden, they're trying to figure out, it jumps from who's gonna, not going to betray him to which of us is the greatest? Which of us is the most important, it says. The word says a dispute arises. They start arguing. Can you believe this? Jesus is sharing his life, talking about how he's going to die, and they're saying, well, which of us is the most important? And here's the reality. When you miss it, you focus your life on improving where you stand on this earth. When you and I get focused on where we stand on this earth, when we get focused on where it is we stand with other people, you have the risk of missing it. You can put that next slide up there, Don. And you can see, when you miss it, you focus your life on improving where you stand on this earth. When the disciples are sitting around trying to figure out who's the greatest, they are completely missing what Jesus is trying to tell them. They're completely missing, actually, 
who Jesus is and who he has called them to be. There's a TED Talk by David Brooks where he talks about Rabbi Joseph Solonichich. And he talks about him in a, in, a, in a book or an essay he wrote contrasting a resume and a eulogy. And he says, most of us spend our life living for our resume and not thinking much about our eulogy. And when you think about it, I think that's true. And that's what I think what the disciples are doing. Which one of us is the greatest? Who has the best resume? Who has the most important? And most of us have spent a lot of our life thinking about what are my accomplishments? What can I put on the resume? What makes me great? And we don't spend a lot of time thinking about a eulogy. And they're so different because I've been to so many funerals and I've never seen anyone pull out someone's resume. I've never seen someone pull out their, their, you know, their CV and start reading from what this person's resume was. In fact, just yesterday in this room, we had a service for Bob Cavallaro, who went home to be with the Lord last week. And after 91 years, and, and we had a service recognizing his life. And I heard people on this platform remember Bob and share a eulogy about him. Bob had served in the army, but I didn't hear anyone say his rank. I don't know what his rank was, but I heard them talk about how in the army he started reading the Bible and came to follow Jesus in a real way and how that impacted the life of other people. Bob was a business owner in the area. He owned greenhouses in Woburn, uh, and and he grew flowers for many uh, other businesses around here. But I never heard anyone yesterday say, talk about the profit margin in any of Bob's years running the greenhouses. Never heard, the, no, no one talked about the best Mother's Day profit that Bob ever had or the best Valentine's Day that he ever had. What they talked about when he would bring his kids into the greenhouse with him and teach them, you know, how to grow flowers and how to cultivate flowers and how much that meant to those kids, and how he would use that to teach them lessons about life. Too many of us are living for our resume and don't think enough about our eulogy, and when we do, we can miss, we're prone to miss what God is trying to tell us. So Jesus brings a correction as we continue in Luke chapter 22, picking up in verse 25, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, he said, look, that's what he says. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. That's the way this world works. You walk into a room and you know who's important. There's kings in this world, and they exercise authority, and they expect respect to be given to them. They expect to have the honorifics, the titles. But not so with you. He says to his disciples, rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Let the greatest become as the youngest. One of the things I find interesting about that is he doesn't deny that there are successful and great people among you. He doesn't say, he doesn't deny that. He never denies about himself that he is the son of God, that he is great, that he is important, that he is the savior. But don't let that 
get you to start hung up on titles and how people are supposed to treat you. In fact, let the greatest act like the youngest. And what he's saying there in that culture, of course, you know, we can get confused with the greatest act like the youngest. The truth is for us, sometimes the youngest requires a lot of work, right? We're, you know, I, I tell new, new parents, I said, be careful with that new little baby. He'll trick you. You know, you think it's about you. It's about them really quickly. And before long, they're going to have more places to sit in that house than you have to sit. You got, you got the bumbo seat and you got the, the, the thing they walk in and the thing they jump in. And then you got the high chair and then you got the car seat and the front car seat and the back car seat. And they're going to be running the world that's all about them. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, look, the youngest, usually the youngest in the crowd, right? They're the ones that always, they're the gopher, right? They're the, always the one that you're, hey, respect your elders. You go get that. You take care. You're the youngest. You haven't paid your dues yet. You, you, you go, you know, you do this for us. Take care of those who have gone before you. And he says, you, even the greatest among you, even those who are most important, the way my kingdom works, you act like the youngest, you serve the most. And so he says, let the, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? This is where Jesus flips it. Who's greater, the one who reclines? Of course it's the one who reclines at the table. They know that. But then he says, but I'm among you as one who serves. Because what he's saying there is, you know I'm greater. And no one at this table is going to say, they may be arguing about who's the greatest, but Jesus isn't in the discussion. Like they know he's the greatest. But who among the rest of us, who's in second? And Jesus says, if the greatest is the one who reclines the table, well, what do you make of what I just did for you? Because I just washed your feet. Because I just served you. I'm acting like the youngest. I'm the leader who serves. And you're supposed to be too. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is saying to them, look, I know where I'm going and you know where you're going when it comes to the kingdom. And so our second point is this. When you see it, when you see who Jesus is, you focus your life on serving out of where you already stand in God's kingdom. We miss it when we're focused on who's the greatest on this earth. We miss it when we're focused on where do I fit and where do I sit? We miss it when we focus on my resume. But when you see it, when you see who Jesus really is, when you see the way he's really called you to live, then you are free to serve. You are free to focus on God's kingdom. When you see it, you start serving out of where you already stand in God's kingdom. Jesus says to these disciples, you're going to eat with me at the table. Uh, you're going to eat and drink with me in my father's kingdom. 
You're going to sit on 12 thrones. You're going to judge. You're going to judge. You're going to be empowered. That's where you're going. So you're free to serve here. You don't have to worry about your resume. The most important thing on your resume is you have a reservation at Jesus' table in heaven. That's the most important thing on your resume. And now you can serve here. You don't have to worry about it. Last week, or, or this past weekend, we uh, went out to, uh, my family and I went out to eat, went to a restaurant, and it was surprisingly busy. It's, it's, it was different to go to a busy restaurant uh, for a while, and, and it was, it was pretty, pretty full, and we went there, and I walked in, and there was this other group that was there right before us, and they were standing off to the side, and I could tell uh, by the look on their face, they were, they were talking about getting a table and asking about getting a table. And I could tell they were a little concerned about, you know, this busyness of the restaurant of whether they were going to be able to sit down and get a table and eat or not. I was behind them, but I wasn't worried. I wasn't concerned. In fact, I was talking to my family and I was talking to my kids and, and we were smiling and we were laughing and, and, and I was just waiting my turn and I wasn't worried. And you know why I wasn't worried? Because when I walked up to the hostess, I said, my name is Rick. We have a reservation for 645. See, when you got a reservation, you're not worried about where you're going to sit and if you're going to get a seat. That's the difference, right? If you've got a reservation, you don't have to say so concerned about am I going to get a seat. You just say, oh, I've got my reservation. I'm not worried about that. I'm free to look around. And be with the people that are with me. A number of years ago, a friend of ours very generously gave us some tickets to go visit Hawaii, which is a very generous gift. Uh, the only caveat to it was they were standby tickets. And, and, that was, and I, if you've ever flown standby, you know how that's a little bit different than flying when you buy a ticket. When you fly standby, you're constantly looking at the screen and your name and all the other names of people that are flying standby. And then you're constantly watching people who are coming up. Is that person going to show up? They called, you know, they, they called Mr. Smith. Maybe he won't show up. Maybe I'll get his seat. You're constantly wondering, do I get on? Do I not? If my luggage gets on, where's it going to go? If I, if I don't get on and my luggage gets on, how do we connect? You're constantly worried about that. But when you got a ticket with a seat, you don't think about that. You sit down, you open your book, you start looking around at people, you get your, you know, Cinnabon. You're not worried about it. You got a seat. It's the way Jesus is saying you're supposed to walk through life. Don't worry about your resume. You don't have to worry about who's the greatest. You don't have to worry about where you sit. You don't have to worry about where you fall in the pecking order. You don't have to worry about building up your greatness because you've already got a reservation. You've already got a seat in the kingdom. So you can live free to serve the people around you. Live like you have a reservation is what Jesus is saying. Live like you have a reservation already. Don't worry about the stuff. Let God take care of building up and opening doors for you. Live like you have a reservation. If you and I are focused on simply where we stand in this world, we're gonna miss 
Not only who Jesus is, but who he has called you to be. Ultimately, Jesus, he was the greatest servant of all, laying down his life that all who would put their faith in him might receive forgiveness and new life in him. This is what Jesus did as the ultimate servant. The truth is, we may try and serve, but we're going to fail. But Jesus didn't fail. He gave it all. He was the ultimate servant. And he's not just a model of how we're supposed to live our life. He's the one that we put our trust and our faith in so that we might have forgiveness of our sins. That's what he said. He said, that's what I'm doing here, guys. And if you are so focused on who is the greatest, you're going to miss it. And if you get so focused on what about me and what about mine and who's supposed to salute me and who's supposed to give deference to me and are they recognizing who I am, you get so focused on that, you're going to miss what Jesus has done for you. You're going to miss what the ultimate servant has done, that he has laid down his life for you, that he has made a way for you to have a reservation at the table And because you have that reservation, that you can just serve and be free from the burdens of this world, that you can depend on your heavenly Father and trust that he is at work and he is in control, that you can live unburdened with the guilt and the shame of this world removed through what Jesus has done for you. And so if you've never made that commitment and put your faith and your trust in him, there's no more important decision that you can make in your life than to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord. There's nothing that will give you more freedom. There's nothing that will give you, unburden you more than being able to put your faith in him and see that he is able to give you that freedom that you've been looking for in your heart and your life. But if you have, and you're a Christian, and you're following him, then here's my challenge to you. No matter what room you walk into, whatever room you walk into this week, tomorrow, walking into a room in your own house, maybe it's your child's room. Maybe it's your kitchen and your spouse is there. No matter what room you walk in, you walk into a schoolroom, your lunchroom, your homeroom, your classroom. You walk into a Zoom room. No matter what room you walk in, you have a choice. You can either ask, where do I sit? Where do I fit? Where do I belong? Where do I fit in all this? Or... You can ask, who can I serve? Who can I serve? Because I don't have to worry about my resume. God's taking care of that. It's assured in the kingdom. If I can walk into the room, I don't have to ask where I sit. I can just ask, who can I serve? Lord Jesus, help us. Lord, we don't live very well as servants, and we don't hear this message, Lord, very well, because we are living in a world where there are kings and leaders, and it teaches us to be very concerned about 
our place and our rights and what we get and what we deserve. Lord, it's hard, Lord, for us to live in complete deference to you, Lord, in complete trust in you. But help us, Lord, to do that and to know that, Lord, our assurance, the most important thing we have is our assurance in you that we are a part of your kingdom. And because of that, we can live freely because of who you are. And we thank you for this, Jesus. And we love you because of it. So lead us and help us to serve and be people who serve like our Lord and because our Lord has secured a place for us. In Jesus' name.